everyone. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. It's January 13th, 2020, 13 days into this new year. And I know I had an episode last week, but I recorded majority of that in the year prior. And this is the first one where we're talking about what's gone on so far. And like, pump the brakes 2020. It is like, what is happening? I, I like it. It's been a real experience. And I can't even believe we're just shy of two weeks in. And I mean, like, not unlike Justin Timberlake's 2020 experience, it has been, you know, 13 days, in his case, 13 tracks that I had high hopes for that ultimately didn't deliver. But I did like mirrors. And similarly to mirrors, I've been looking in one and being like, what's going on? What do I care about? What do I talk about? How do I make sense of all that goes on in the world? And I think it's just been interesting how many things have gone on of varying levels of importance. And I think like, I don't know, for me, big 2020 energy was like sitting in bed watching the Golden Globes be utterly out of touch while also not being in you know full knowledge that a continent is on fire. And while we're losing like a half billion animals, I'm also like in like one tab, I'm like reading this and I'm devastated. And the next tab, somehow I'm equally devastated because Rita Wilson's hair and makeup people aren't showing up. And like, don't they know that Tom Hanks is getting the Cecil B. DeMille Award for Excellence in Film and she has to look her best. And I realize these things are of varying magnitude. And that's what I think is so interesting. I mean, Rita Wilson got torn apart for posting that on Twitter. But like your husband was receiving like a huge Lifetime Achievement Award at the Golden Globes. And like, you know, you had air dried hair and not a a lash on. Wouldn't you be like a little bit bummed? It's like one of these things where I felt it was big 2020 energy because looming in the background, we have things of enormous importance, daunting even going on that we don't always know how to tackle, but we still care. And then at the surface, we have these menial problems that are, you know, easy to complain about on social media. They kind of get people invested in what you're doing. And you can care about both at the same time. I, for one, was also, you know, reading about the Iranian airstrike. And simultaneously, Brad Gresky was like photoshopping, you know, Chanel Couture from the fall onto Shersha Ronan's body because we needed to speculate what she was going to wear. And, you know, if monochrome or pops of color are more becoming on her. And Kristen Cavallari, you know, agreed that it was pops of color. And I was like, am I getting dumber? But also, yes, like I just we, there's so many things always going on. And I think as a relayer of news and information, sometimes I worry because I'm like, Rita Wilson, read the room. But am I reading the room I like a tone deaf party of one? I'm like, there's shit going down. And I'm like t- telling you about Taylor Swift's paper rings. And it, as I go into 2020, I just want to re-acknowledge that I know this and every episode I struggle with this. And today what I wanted to do is walk through day by day what the top Google search trends were of 2020. It helps me organize my thoughts in terms of what was top of mind that day because I don't always talk about current events. I kind of will shift it to more things that are more topical or that maybe have happened previously. But whenever I talk about current events, I'm like, I know that there are things that are way more important going on in this world that I'm actively skipping to tell you how I feel about Carly Kloss getting called out on Project Runway about being a Kushner, which I'd actually argue is a sweet spot where politics and pop culture collide. But anyway, I don't know. Watching Rita Wilson be torn apart, but then also like me tearing apart Brad Gresky. I'm like, which one am I? I just, you know, I need to, we all need to not operate in such a binary fashion where we assume if somebody vocalizes one thing, that means they can't care for, think about, advocate for multiple things in the background. We can do and be more than one thing. And I started this podcast because I, I really believe like my whole, like my whole life being such a lover of like top 40 music and pop culture and celebrity gossip and, you know, in the 2010s bloggers, 
I've always just found people take great joy in shaming your interests, whereas you don't say a word about sports or Magic the Gathering or whatever the hell it is they're into. It's just easy to go after pop culture as being vapid. And as we've talked about before, it has tremendous influence. It's so important. It makes you culturally literate in a way that you can converse with nearly anybody. And these things are interesting. And I, you want to find a balance of being able to uh, really advocate for their importance and their analysis, but also not skip over things that I do fully acknowledge are more important. So we're going to try to find a balance this year. It's an important year. It's an election year. There's going to be a lot that goes on. And, you know, the podcast just evolves as time does, as events do. And we'll see where we go. But I just I guess like when I was watching these events, I was like, oh, God, am am I am I a Goreski? Am I the person that's like throwing out a hollow T's and P's for the marsupials after I spend 15 minutes talking about how Sandra O should wear more textures? I mean, to be fair, she does crush it in a velvet and. The former short-lived amateur gymnast to me does love a crushed velvet leotard. Those things were very expensive. I went to the Richmond Olympiad for, I don't know, two or three years until I got too tall and my feet were touching the other uneven bars. From that point on, we knew it wasn't going to work. But then I saw Nastia Luke and I was like, you're tall. Why did nobody kick you out of gymnastics? Rude. Anyways, I've been watching a lot of cheer. It is life. It is everything. It's so important to me. I love it so much. Uh, the, the stories kill me. Gabby's parents are literal monsters. Uh, Morgan is the cute pocket girl I will never be. Jerry uh, lifts me up where we belong, physically lifts up his teammates. He emotionally lifts me up. Uh, Ladarius started out so strong. I kind of turned on him a little bit. I'm upset he didn't make those faces he made at the football game in the first episode more often. Guys, my husband got into it. My uh, my in-laws, we all watched it over the weekend. We like left dinner early so we could finish the, the finale. Was I disappointed to find out they're the only two in their conference? Yes. Am I deeply confused about the eligibility of attending a junior college? What makes it different from a community college? Is it only two years or is it just as long as you turn in your credits? And like, how is Jerry at Louisville, but like also back at Navarro? And like, is Lexi okay? I mean, she's the only person that can do a full fall, which is different from a full out, Greg tells me. I kept being like, Lexi's the only one that can do a full out. He's like, no, a full out is when you do the entire routine beginning to end like two minutes 15 seconds and i was like oh sorry this is a cheerocracy like we were getting in arguments about it but you know honestly guys like i've just been watching cheer- cheerleading videos on youtube it was only five episodes it wasn't long enough and like i want to talk about it but like i don't know if i don't want to spoil anything i think the one thing that it well there's two i mean there's so many things that are important to highlight one if you're a parent over pressuring your child to do a sport and they are telling you they are exhausted they are telling you they are disinterested They are maybe not looking well. For the love of God, listen to your child and let them rest and let them reprioritize if they want to and let them live out their youth independent of serious sports. Gabby, I just see cries for help left and right. She's sitting there on her bed saying, I'm exhausted. That's going to be a lot. Her parents are yip-yapping in the other room, folding clothes and taking names. She, She gets one second to herself in the shower. Her dad pops his grimy little rat faced head in. To be like, hey, you're going to go to that cheerleading event, right? And it's like, Jesus, Britney Spears' dad, relax. Like, these intense parents that, like, are, like, leeches. They're, like, a the parasitic in a sense of, like, they need their child's host career to feed them. And it's, like, I, it's so concerning to watch. And this is such a dark comparison. But it reminds me of the Avicii documentary when he was, like, I'm exhausted. I'm anxious. I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to travel anymore. And it was like he was a ghost. Nobody listened. They just powered forward. 
They just made him keep working until he ultimately perished. And it's like so effing upsetting. And I just am worried about Gabby. I know she loves to cheer, but I think that her parents should be the first ones to encourage her to slow down. So if any parents of elite athletes, just remember, you of all people should be the first one to recognize when your kid needs to slow down. And there's a difference between healthily pushing people and working on stamina and and focusing on hard work and driving people to utter exhaustion and not pacing them in a way that enables them to live out their youth, have fun, go to dances, be friends with people, like just live. Because if they're the thing they're doing now is not what they're going to be doing in 20 years. Like maybe try to achieve some balance so they don't look back on this and resent you, the sport and everything involved. And guys, I love the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders making the team. I've watched it for like 15 years. I don't even know how long it's been on. Kelly McGonagall Finglass and Judy Trammell are tough coaches and I respect the hell out of them. And as I've said before, I can look at them and know that they'd be disappointed in me before we'd even met. When watching, you know, I know this is different and we're not like talking professional here, but Monica Aldama is the woman that every women's coach needs to be. She finds people in difficult situations that aren't, aren't, you know, ready for the team yet, but have the potential. She grooms them. She takes care of them. She becomes their second mother. A lot of these people don't even have mothers to look to. And and she becomes their sole mentor. She, she really balances hard work and grace and, you know, kind of just this ability to be a person that you equal parts fear and respect in that way that you always are trying to balance as a parent, where you need people to do what you say, but you also need them to know that you've got their back no matter what. And in either, you know, on either side of fear or respect, you can't take advantage of it and you can't strike an imbalance. But somehow she balances perfectly. And I think for me, the real goosebump moment was, you know, Lexi has a rough past with like all sorts of things. She pretty strongly hinted at drugs. She vaped like a machine. That was like an annoying thing about 2019. I feel like all of a sudden everybody was like jeweling as if it was cool. And like, it's not cool, guys. Just stay away from like nicotine. It's lame. If you're not marijuana friendly, say eat edible, have a good time. But just like, let's not inhale things. I just don't think it's worth it. Anyway, um, to each his own, no judgment. Much like Monica Aldama. I support you either way, my loyal listeners. Uh, but what gave me goosebumps is Lexi had a tough past. The, somebody was posting or tweeting photos, what I gather were like nude or sexual in nature photos of her. When she was a minor and her first response was like, I don't want to make this a bigger deal than it is. I don't want to start a fight, which is the problem with so in so many circumstances with victims uh, to go to the police and to try to take action makes the situation so much worse. And you're worried like, you know, you don't know what else they have, what else they have in store, if they'll come after you like that. Like she just seemed too scared to say anything. She eventually tells Monica, and whereas on the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders making the team, they will get kicked off immediately, walked out you know, turn in your boots. Uh, if you had a nude photo leak, you get kicked off immediately for fraternizing with the player. They are very cut dry strict, which is fine. But watching how Monica handled this situation with Lexi was very beautiful. She got the police involved. She didn't shame her. She made sure she knew she was like protected. She made sure she knew she wasn't in trouble. It was something that happened in the past. It's something that people, you know, it's a decision she maybe wouldn't have made now, but now is being used against her. And is very much illegal, and she had every right and reason to turn people in, but wouldn't have without the strength of a mentor, adult person telling her it would be okay, but it also wasn't right. And I just was really impressed by how Monica handled that, because I think a lot of times with women, uh, you know, 
in the name of like rules and class and whatever, like just like being a sorority, like like nudes, a sex tape, like these things, you know, you don't want them associated with your brand. So you have like a really, really hard and fast rules about them. And uh, when these things happen in a lot of organizations and people get kicked out, there's so much shame involved. And oftentimes there are decisions you made when you didn't know better. And I don't know, you guys know I hate the word classy, but Monica's, Monica's classy as hell. She really is. And uh, she's lived there her whole life. It fascinated me that she didn't have any like sort of outside training. Uh, it to me was just such a really interesting story of a person with who's just genuinely strong willed and hard working and a master of their craft and who doesn't need all sort of like sorts of shiny external accolades. And like, you know, a lot of times you like ship in talent from elsewhere, but she just like already had it. And she used her business degree to crunch the numbers and to build a program. And I'm just like, you go. I also sit on the floor with my clipboard when I'm thinking really hard. Her husband seemed to just like love her so much. She's like a country girl that like talks about the girth of cows. Yet, you know, she dresses stylish in an equipment blouse and a mid-rise jean. I don't love belts, but I can get past that. And beyond that, you know, I, if there's somebody I don't typically relate with, it's a super rural, religious, uh, you know, person that has both the interests that are more outdoors that I don't have and also conservative religious beliefs that I've abandoned. But... Hearing her talk about how she goes to her, she's, you know, very faithful and goes to her pastor and and argues uh, against the church's policy against gay people and says, like, I don't care who you are. Uh, if you come after my boys, like I will come right back at you. And she doesn't stand for intolerance as it relates to being gay. She doesn't stand for shaming women. She doesn't stand for treating anybody any differently, regardless of where they came from. And I just like am a huge, huge Monica Stan. Um, lastly, the thing I need to talk about reach here. That was probably the most important scene I had seen. And that was very enlightening in terms of, oh, my God, like I am so happy these these young men have found a home in cheer. If if unable to find a place to belong throughout their lives, like this is perfect for them. But then when you take a step back and you're like, they're in Corsicana, Corsicana, Texas, thinking of like culturally living there. I mean, it's just so it shows the power of like a microcosm in a community, but they found a home. And what was even crazier is to like hear in class how they talked about Texas. I'll I'm going to play it from my iPad. The audio might not be that good, but I just feel like we need to relive this. This woman, I can't. I can't. Because I know I've got some basketball and cheerleaders in here. Sometimes you guys are like not from Texas, not even close to Texas. So just a little bit of fun facts to kind of get you guys interested in Texas. Uh, we gave the world the Quaid brothers. You probably don't even remember Randy Quaid, um, but he was in Christmas Vacation. Oh, He's the crazy yeah. uncle. This yeah. like shitter's full. That one. That's that him. Uh, uh, Tex-Mex. It's the best ever. <laughs> it is not real Mexican food. It's a way better version of Mexican food. <laughs> Tell me what you think Texans kind of believe politically. The right to bear arms? Hell yeah. I'm the biggest <laughs> gun-toting broad you ever oh did see. God. I am packing heat almost all the time. You're going to find out relatively quickly that Texas is overwhelmingly a conservative state. They generally support traditional values and lifestyles, so a lot of them are kind of looking at that. A man and a woman is the traditional definition of marriage, and you should get up and go to church on Sundays and you have the house with the 2.5 children and a white picket fence, the old school people. I kind of like have to laugh at this teacher who's like pretending to be cool and like she's reporting on what other people believe. 
but like she's she's definitely talking about herself. She just like is a gun toting pro life broth that like kicks her feet up, eats chips and queso, and probably says things like the, the homosexuals. You know, it's just like okay, that I mean, it's like I don't know if that course is like Captain Obvious one hundred and one, but like yes, this is I think they think most of America is like pretty aware of like Texas's vibe. Uh, I, I like Texas a lot, I, but I'm only mid to like metropolitan parts of it. Uh, so I don't know much about rural Texas or the girth of cows, but I've got to say it's like that woman compared to Monica. You know what I mean? It's like there's a way you can you can like have your values and traditions. You don't have to abandon them to be able to accept other people. And I think like, you know, it just kills me that like Jerry's like sitting there watching and being like, oh, this is really interesting. Learning the facts. When they're like, you know, only a man and a woman can get married. It's just like, God, it pisses me off that people like can still like stand up and say like you in the room don't deserve the same rights as everybody else. But, you know, that's just Texas here past the Pico de Gallo. It's like, God, no, you have a life. Anyway, we're going to go into day by day recap of 2020. We'll ultimately end up with Harry and Megan, as you know, I make maybe tired of talking about that. And by talking, I just mean like talking to people like online because this for some reason is very polarizing. But we'll try to stick to the facts. And by facts, I mean my cold hard opinions, because I just have trouble imagining that anybody really is that like sinister and like, you know, conspiring behind the scenes to like marry a prince and then to leave the monarchy. It's like if she was really that manipulative, do you think she'd be leaving? I don't know. Now all the Hallmark movies are going to be about we're not going to be like, oh, my God, happily ever after she married a prince. We're going to be like, sweet. She married a prince and then was like, I'm going to blow this popsicle stand. Like, that's a true feminist love story. And honestly, it kind of is. Before we get into the 2020 countdown, I do want to shout out our advertiser. I'm a big fan of this company. I've been using them for several months now. You know Greg and Tugboat and I have Steak Sunday. It's a family tradition. We always would, you know, formally forget to buy the steak, so then it would just become like regular Sunday. But now with ButcherBox, we have everything covered. And beyond that, I feel good about it because I've watched a lot of food documentaries. And you know how, like, I don't know, you watch one and you're like, I'm going to change my life never again. But then you like post-made chicken nuggets and you're like, damn it. But I want to make more ethical, conscious decisions. And I love a, a company that simplifies the process for me. So ButcherBox is a subscription service that sends 9 to 11 pounds of meat a month. And that's like twenty around 24 individual meals at less than $6 a piece. They're a meat distributed in the form of a subscription box that basically connects with local farms and co-ops and distributes um, high-quality grass-fed, 100% grass-fed beef, heritage pork, organic free-range chicken, wild Alaskan salmon, nitrate sugar-free bacon, all of their animals are humanely raised and free of antibiotics and hormones and are basically doing all of the things that I want to be doing to be more active for my health and be more of an advocate for what is more environmentally friendly and what is a more ethical living conditions for the animal. And you guys know, like, I hate being misled and I'm like all up in a conspiracy. And like, I could not even believe when I learned that grass fed is not the same as grass finished. And theoretically, somebody could call meat grass fed and it be fed like one you know blade of grass and then be fed corn or whatever for the rest of its life. Like, that's incredibly misleading. So what I learned from ButcherBox is it needs to be 100% grass-fed or grass-finished. And, like, it's important to see pasture-raised so you know that they're not all, like, shoved into a lot and overcrowded. And I don't know. I've, I've just been impressed with how this company educates, and I like the product. And I'm just learning a lot, and I feel like this is, like, the smallest thing I could ever be doing. But also, it's, like, it's convenient and affordable, so, like, why not? But, you know, try it for yourself. This is actually an interesting deal. Um... I think a lot of you got the bacon and ground beef before, which was also an awesome deal and two of my favorite products of theirs. But right now, if you subscribe to ButcherBox, they're giving away 
three pounds of free wings for the lifetime of your subscription. I mean, that's awesome. Three pounds of chicken wings every time you get your monthly box for free. I um, actually am a big eater of chicken wings. I like to make them. I put all this spice rub over them from like Aldi and then I make them in the air fryer and they're so good and easy and I don't really cook, you know, so actually this is great for me personally, but hopefully for you as well. So right now you can get free wings for the for life. And that by that I mean the lifetime of your subscription plus twenty dollars off your first box. It's three pounds of wings in every box for the life of your subscription plus twenty dollars off your your first box. Just go to butcherbox.com slash be there in five or use promo code be there in five at checkout. That's F I V E, not the number five. So butcherbox.com slash be there in five or use promo code be there in five at checkout. Unlike Gabby's dad that tells her to fill up with jackfruit, I for one prefer to fill up with wings. Also, a friendly reminder, go to be there in 5com under the podcast tab. This is where all my promo codes are for podcast advertisers. It's important that you use these so they know that they're working, they're cutting through, and uh, it's just kind of where I keep everything in addition to the episode notes. So thanks to ButcherBox for sponsoring this week. And now let's recap the first two weeks of 2020. So it's Jan 1, New Year's Day. We, you know, have a great New Year's Eve. We're all relishing in the fact that the, the decorative glasses this year had two zeros you did eye holes unlike 2017 that was another disaster because do you just squeeze your you know left eye in between the, the the one and the seven it was ridiculous and you know we're grateful to have the two tops of the twos for the 2020s for the eye holes so we can really ring each year on with a bang and by a bang i mean not with a bang because anybody who wears decorative eyewear for new year's from party city is probably not getting banged but you know who cares do you blow into that kazoo all you want and uh don't look back Anyways, we start out, you know, 2020, you know, happy-go-lucky, doing good, slap-happy. And by slap-happy, I mean we start day one of 2020 by the Pope slapping somebody. And I don't know about you guys, but the media, like before I saw the video, they made it sound like it was basically Stasi Schroeder backhanding Kristen Doty at like the Toka Madeira after Kristen slept with Jax twice while they watched Drive and Tom Sandoval was in the other room. And when you actually watch the Pope, it's like this woman's like pulling on his arm. He's trying to walk away. And it's an alarming invasion of personal space. And I think it was a reflex, not unlike Kate Middleton on that Mary Barry show, where um, I think William like tickled her armpit and she like kind of reflex uh, jolted away. And people were like, oh, my God, she hates him. And I was like, no, if you're ticklish, you have a visceral reaction to being like touched in the wrong spot. I would do the same thing. I don't think that Mary Berry would have aired that if there was actually it was representative of a bigger problem. But also, I think the Pope is allowed to have human reflexes because, you know, he he isn't a God. And, you know, Van, Ariana Grande is right. And God is a woman. I would hope she would be like, don't touch me. And if Pink is right and God is a DJ, you know, they don't like you knew their equipment. And I don't think the Pope as a representation of God should be any different. And I honestly support him. I mean, I, you know, I have a lot of issues with like popes in the Catholic Church and stuff, but I support his reflex of t- teaching somebody a lesson of like, just because you're a nice, holy person doesn't mean that you can invade a person's space and alarm them. Because, you know, a person of religious figurehead is at a security risk, really, at all times. And I am kind of I wonder if now he won't get as close to the people, which is unfortunate because, like, isn't he supposed to bless the people? I don't know. Anyway, so that was a fun start to the to the year. Uh, then we go to January 2nd. Uh, Carly Kloss looks furious when they bring up the Kushners and Project Runway, some guys got to get voted off, mentions them. Her face is seething. And I'm just like, KK, you know what? You married into the family. Not only that, you had two weddings. It's not exactly discreet. We all know his connection to the White House. Honestly, you get away without him being mentioned like way too often. And you've been pretty unscathed. So like, just let somebody talk back to you a little bit. Independent of your political affiliation, like, you know, you're in bed with some 
serious connections, connections of like money, power, wealth, potential corruption beyond measure, not to mention now a source of uh, political turmoil. And it's just like one of those things where, while I do think that people deserve to be treated independently of their uh, familial uh, affiliations, because I'd say most people have pretty different views than a lot of their friends and family. Uh, But it's just like a kind of a different scale when you think of their level of, of power and influence and a person that is very much a beneficiary of that power and influence conveniently wanting to disassociate when uh, it has a negative impact on their image. And, you know, I love Carly, but that was just kind of like, I don't know, I thought like the project, the producers leaving it, it was like kind of funny. You know, they really could have taken that out. We then also on January 2nd, tensions with Iran escalate. World War Three memes, hashtags are starting to take off. Similar to my conundrum between Rita Wilson's Glam Squad and the Australian uh, brush fires was, you know, the the looming nature of this World War Three hashtag meme versus what the actual content being produced by like 11, 12 year olds was. I say 11, 12 year olds, like honestly, in my head, people that use TikTok are under 15 and they all look so young to me, mostly because uh, like, okay, I recently started to dive further into TikTok and guys like, I, I just, I don't want to be the person like the, the senile person that's like really not understanding what the point is or what kids are doing or trivializing it just because it's different. But like, it's just a bunch of teenagers in crop tops and sweatpants with like their parents built ins in the background and like full wall to wall carpets and random like trophies and sports ribbons. And they're just like doing these like short da- choreographed dances to kind of old pop rap songs like Laffy Taffy. And they're just this they're, it's an interesting thirst trap culture where it's like very openly like, you know, I just got my braces off. I'm feeling myself. Let me do like an over-sexualized dance in the name of, you know, TikTok content because like I'm so silly and relatable and I'm at my parents' house and like, oh, like I'm just being such a goof troop. Like I'm so bad at choreography. And meanwhile, it's like, are like you look like Nicole Scherzinger, like what's happening? And I just think of myself in high school being like, oh, not only am I being left out, not invited to these parties, it's because I'm a not cool and b I don't qualify for the skill set needed for the choreography for their TikTok videos that they must sit around and do all night at sleepovers. It's hard enough to like be cute in person and like dress well and to like find your footing looks wise in your awkward stages in high school. It's even harder to to start learning choreography and have to craft a social presence that, I don't know, makes you look somewhat relatable, yet also showcases your lip syncing and choreographic skills, if that's a word. Because you don't want to have like a full grid of you just like nailing moves. You have to put some silly ones, some like sometimes you mouth the words wrong. Sometimes, you know, the choreography is just like stupid or oversimplified, but you would never miss an opportunity to post a video of yourself really pulling off a bandeau top. Um, I just don't really I can't imagine the pressure these people are under. I can't imagine the how these like hype house people. I just learned about the hype house. I want to die. Um, it's this place where like all these TikTokers and content creators live and they like make up dances and it like influences the world. And I just like can't and I and I won't and I am really trying hard to understand it. But like I think that it it it's like triggering for me to think of like a house of people, not only at that age where you're still like really trying to be like cool and hot and fun. 
but then also the pressure of like making content and like the likes and comments mattering. And like, I've noticed all these girls with like the long torsos and the like, oh, I look like shit, but like, they're, cause they're wearing athleisure, but like a- athletes running, like, you don't look, it's, it's just not the same as like wearing an old, like 5k t-shirt and like rolling up some champion sweatpants from like Walmart, you know, like when we, back in my day, when we used to like wear sweatpants and a, like, you know, pile your hair on top of your head and go to the dining hall, like we actually looked unwell. Now you can't put on a sports bra with an exposed midsection and like a high-waisted yoga pant, a bright, unforgiving color, and be like, oh, I look awful. Like, you know, you look smoking hot and you know it. You know, it's like, leave leave the self-deprecation to people like me that use words like midsection. You know who never shows off their midsection? People who use the word midsection. <laughs> um, you know how, like, on Pitch Perfect, they did a riff-off and now I'm dying to do a Taylor Swift lyric riff-off? Maybe I'll be able to find somebody at my Nashville show to do it with me. That would be fun, kind of funny, actually. Anyways, I just feel like TikTok, like, should just be called, like, midriff-off because... It's just like a riff off of people lip syncing stuff back and forth to one another and exposing their midriffs. And I'm just interested and captivated and I will scroll into the deep for hours looking at it. But I'm also like really frustrated by it. And I think, you know, in my head, I'm, I just want a strong generation of young women who are the future to value other things uh, and to not worry about social media and not worry about being hot, not worry about male attentions, not, you know, forego doing what they love in favor of doing what gets them likes. You know, don't just follow dreams, my dear dream of followers at night is a line from my book, Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star. And I wrote this in satire because I fear this is the messaging going out. And TikTok is it's it's a world that I can pretend doesn't exist. But once you're in it, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe that this is what young people are caring about. This is how they communicate. Anyways, I got off on that tangent because what was so interesting the day the World War Three memes were happening is how the young people were reacting to it. And, you know, I think a way to process chaos around us is humor. And I also think that at a certain age, you know, if you're under 14 or something, you maybe in your lifetime, since you've been, you know, kind of cognitive of world issues, like maybe up until this point, there hasn't been a serious threat of a, you know, of major escalation of an international conflict. And, you know, for all I know, this is the first time in their life, like the word war has really been used in this sense. And the memes and content coming from this hashtag World War Three were just like wild because when I was growing up, you know, I was I, I how, how old was I when 9-11 happened, um, like 14 it, it that in that era, the zeitgeist more so there's like anger coming from that was, you know, it was just like Toby Keith will put a boot in your ass. It's the American way, uh, you know, angry American, the kind of that was the vibe that was going around. And when I was watching these TikToks about World War Three, it was like, you know, TFW means that feeling when. So it'd be like, TFW, you get drafted for hashtag World War Three, serving our country while serving up Luke's. And they were like posing. And I'm like, okie doke. I guess this is how we're processing this information. I don't hate it. I appreciate the humor. War isn't funny. But if, if people are scared and confused, why not process it with humor? But also... I just, I don't know. I was just laughing at the the serving puns of serving looks, serving our country. I was like, you know what? I love that we're in a more accepting world and we can be telling jokes about how young gay men would approach the military. And like, it just, it was strange and refreshing all the same. And I don't know, I'm learning a lot about the youngsters, I guess. So anyways, thought that was interesting. I think we're still like in the first few days of January. Um, I feel like sometimes things are so crazy that are going on and we don't know what will happen. And sometimes it does it does help to laugh, even though the subject matter is the farthest thing from funny. So obviously last week was kind of stressful. 
with the Iranian airstrike, with mentions of World War III, then there's a plane crash. I mean, there's just like so much going on. Meanwhile, the, there's the fires. And, you know, as I mentioned, uh, the, what we focus on here is of tremendous importance because, of course, that same day they announced the Coachella 2020 lineup. And I so the second night is being headlined by Travis Scott, incredibly talented, apparently puts on the best shows. I did watch his documentary, Look Mom. Is it Look Mom, I Can Fly? Um so his shows are like known for inciting like, you know, mosh pits. And in Arkansas, he got arrested for inciting a riot. Somebody got paralyzed at one of his concerts. They're crazily more physically involved than many others. Now, as it relates to Coachella, I know what we're all thinking. You know, will Hannah G, Cassie, you know, Randolph and like Tasha, like how do crop tops fare in a mosh pit? If you crowd surf, does that more artfully distress your jeans? Or is it just straight up dangerous? Should they leave Revolve Fest? And these are questions that only time will tell and um, things that are very top of mind. So I don't want you to think I don't care about the important things. But, you know, people search that that day. And then moving on to the next day, what do we have? We have like more notably that day we have um, news that I did not see coming in that Cameron Diaz and Benji Madden welcomed a baby girl. Cameron Diaz is 47 years old. I don't think we know many details still uh but cameron posted on instagram didn't even know she had instagram if i'm honest happy new year from the maddens we are so happy blessed and grateful to begin this new decade by announcing the birth of our daughter radix madden two d's in both names she has instantly captured our hearts and completed our family while we are overjoyed to share the news we also feel a strong instinct to protect our little one's privacy so we won't be posting any pictures or sharing any more details other than that the fact that she is really cute some would even say rad <laughs> From our family to all of yours, we're sending our love and best wishes, etc. I'm very happy for her. We don't know the nature of who carried the baby, surrogate her, whatever. I don't know. I don't really feel like I don't care about speculating. Here's the thing. It's like, I, I think I get tired of being like put in a box as it relates to like the age in which you like have to have kids and like there being an alleged timeline you pass and like biology and all that. But there's a lot of different ways to have a kid. You don't have your own biological kid. There's like a lot of different things we can do. And we don't always need to be like, how, what, where? Like, I don't know. It's like, it's whatever. I mean, I know I'm trying to go to a music festival before I have kids. I have a bucket list. And like, the problem is I have to crawl before I walk and I'm not going to get to Coachella this year for Travis Scott. I can't handle that. And But the thing is, crawling isn't even going to Lollapalooza. That's a lot for me. Before I even can venture into music festival, I need to spend like one hour, you know, last one hour at a nightclub. I, I don't have the, you know, ears for the ocular tolerance of strobe lights and like you know when people pressure me make me feel like i have to like a baby like yesterday i'm like well i gotta get to tau gotta start training i will go to coachella one year and i will get into revolve fest and i might have to hop a fence i might have to uh i don't know get a hair extension uh, whatever it takes i want to experience a cultural phenomenon but honestly hopefully by that time something else will have shifted and we'll be doing different things as a society because I kind of wonder if festival vibes are like a little over. You know what I mean? I feel like there's another like experiential thing on the horizon. That thing, I don't know what it is, but hopefully it is fun and it is radix, if you will. What was I talking about? Anyways, happy for Cam. Happy for Benji. Um, don't have a ton to say other than I just kind of forget about celebrities that aren't super top of mind and always in like paparazzi pictures and at award shows, which is just a funny thing that, you know, people are want to be private they can be i hope her and nicole richie are close friends who is married to joel madden um you know part of me just thinks that radix uh, you know has two d's like madden and they like the word rad 
and they were watching an episode of Vanderpump Rules and saw Ariana Maddox and were like, all right, Radix it is, but what do I know? The next day, where are we? January 4th. We have I mean, Adele show, pops up on in Anguilla, uh, which I don't know much about other than I feel like that's a place that I've heard Chris Harrison say several times. I know it's in the Caribbean, but I mean, like, I don't know a lot about the island specifically um, to provide you more context other than knowing that it's beautiful and it's tropical um, and it probably has a sandals. But at whatever place is not sandals is where James Corden, Adele and Harry Styles were vacationing. A lot of people suggesting that Harry and Adele were are dating, but I just think they're all pals. Now, Adele notably also seems to have a substantial weight loss. Uh, apparently, she said she lost about 100 pounds, which is unbelievable. Like that is I, I don't even know how to comprehend that. And of course, everyone's like first question is like, how? It's like you hear somebody died. It's like, how can I do that? You hear somebody loses a lot of weight. It's like, how can I do that? Which is, you know, not the right way to be, but unfortunately, the way the thought process goes and all the Daily Mail articles are like, it has nothing to do with exercise. It's all eating. A hundred pounds is like wild. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I'm interested to see what she'll share. Um, it, I think like, I don't know. I don't really like notice that much or like care when people lose or gain weight. I just like it. I didn't know who it was at first. It's so it's kind of weird when people look so different and like you just hope that it's a function of whatever makes them feel good, whatever they wanted. I hope she's healthy. I hope it was voluntary. I hope like, you know, whatever it's it's um, I just don't I'm not really into people saying anymore, like when someone loses weight that they look good because she always looked good. It doesn't like you can look good at any size like she just like looked so different. I think what's so what's was like the bigger story. I mean, I don't know. I guess what's important. I just it's like whenever something that extreme happens and people are like, oh, you know, I just like stop drinking soda, drink more water. I'm like, OK, shut up. It just it's not it's OK to admit you want to run like an extreme regimen and an extreme life change if that's what you wanted. But don't mislead people about what it takes. Like, I'm so tired of people telling me they drink water, A, because I don't and B, because like, I don't know, I'm doing a hand gesture right now. Like, this is not. You don't look beautiful because of the water. You look beautiful because of the ability to afford a lot of IPL lasers, like tubs of La Mer and like a baseline facial symmetry that makes you even eligible to be on film. It's not easy for most of us. So I don't know. What are you going to do? OK, moving on. What else happened that day? That was the day of the Golden Globes. I mean, that was a lot. Ricky Gervais gave zero Fs. He was just like, stop being political. Nobody cares. He like. After Renee Zellweger's speech, she was like, I'm so bored. I mean, he just like did not care. It was his last year hosting Tina Fey and Amy Poehler doing it next year. I mean, but first of all, award shows are just dying a slow, painful death. And they're hard to watch. They feel so irrelevant and out of touch. They feel like they're um, frozen in time and within those walls. They still believe this era of um, fascination and reverence exists like it once did for the untouchable Hollywood celebrity. Meanwhile, I think the the people have shifted to a place where, A, we haven't seen most of the movies and shows you're talking about because people don't go to the theater anymore. I mean, you know, blanket statement, but I certainly don't go as much as I once did. A lot of them are limited release in major markets. And uh, I think that what once was the untouchable celebrity and an opportunity one of the only opportunities we get to see them in like a non-character format on these shows is now of no interest to us because all these public figures and like influencers and athletes and entertainers 
uh, are so accessible via social media. We see their day to day lives. So them kind of, you know, putting on a beautiful dress and stiffly sitting there and praying the camera doesn't pan to them while Ricky Gervais gives jokes like it doesn't interest us anymore. And beyond that, you know, to go to the way, you know, they speak in these like platitudes about, you know, climate change, me too, the importance of, of diversity and representation are all things that are important. And I agree with And in a sense, I'm like, yeah, use moments where there are a lot of eyeballs on you to speak about causes. But the years go on and the lack of follow through with any of this stuff, especially as it relates to organizations like the Hollywood Forum Press or the Academy, is just it's exhausting. And I feel like we're supporting organizations that want to blow smoke and they want the the uh, the hollow praise that comes from talking about the issues, but they don't actually incite any sort of change. Like yesterday, the Oscars uh, nominees were announced. There's not a single freaking female director. It's like Tarantino and Scorsese. Like, we get it. It just, it, nobody actually does care about diversity and representation and who knows who's in you know cahoots with weinstein or epstein and like all these people just I, I don't trust anybody and i think like part of me is like a frustrated person that feels like it's all one giant conspiracy and all anybody cares about is looking good part of me thinks some people are good-hearted and mean well and i'm charmed when they do their speeches but all in all i just think this is like a tone-deaf antiquated format that until we actually see the organizations behind them you know really driving the change that people are asking for on the stage. Why are we supporting it? I mean, I, like, I just, I don't know, guys, I'm kind of over it. Like, I don't care about Leonardo DiCaprio. I just don't like I cared about him, you know, when he was Romeo to Claire Danes Juliet. That soundtrack is pure magic. Cardigan's loveful. There's a little bit of garbage. Oh, yeah, we talked about this on a very old episode. My uh, dilemma with the band called the Butthole Surfers and how I feel like that was just a real uh, branding uh, mis misguided branding decision, given that I would never want to tell anybody that that's my favorite band just because I've not really ever Jonesed to say the word beehole in casual conversation. Um, but I just feel like he gets on stage, talks about global warming. We're like, you were just at the Google summit where all, you and all your friends took private jets to the Google summit in like Sicily and like talked about how the earth is burning. Meanwhile, like the type of guy you are is that you dump your girlfriends when they like turn age 25. There's a Reddit infographic that shows how Leo breaks up with his girlfriend's at age 25 and he's never dated anybody over age 25 because you know that's not creepy but i just i i don't revere these hollywood people like i once did i'm not as interested in them as i once was and i just feel like there's a major shift in what we ask for and need in our public figures and i think the oscars globes emmys etc are evidence of uh, a major shift that we maybe cannot see in real time but in retrospect we will realize the demise of what is the traditional celebrity i feel like the award shows act like we're still you know, in the musical Annie and we're like, let's go to the movies and like, OK, update. I just spent like a cool 40 minutes watching clips from Annie. Um, I'm just kidding. It was like maybe 15. But I I need to rewatch this whole movie. In an old episode, I talked about how I, I just I need to revisit so many things. I've always struggled with Carol Burnett because I find her terrifying as Miss Hannigan. I find it terrifying, as Kelly and I spoke about, that people on Bumble say they went to the graduated from the School of Hard Knocks. Do they even understand what it was like to be in an orphanage in early 20th century New York? I, I don't like the man impersonating her dad, Rooster. They pursued her on a drawbridge. Punjab had to he unwrapped his turban and rescued her. And she grabbed onto the fabric and got into a copter like even Annie can afford to, like, take a blade to the Hamptons to, like, go to Gurney's. It's like. God, why does my life suck? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, 
No, but like, that's so dark. I mean, it's like, I just watched it when I was so young and like, you know, it's just like funny story time. Like, let's curl up, read a book, watch a story, watch a movie. It's like, good night, moon. Good night, couch. Good night, greedy, evil man named Rooster posing to be an orphan's parents while he chases her down a drawbridge and she almost ultimately plunges to her death like Rooster's girlfriend did. You've got to rewatch the let's go to the movie scene. It's literally like, so I guess, you know, Radio City at one point was a movie theater. It still does premieres and stuff. But like they go to Radio City. There's nobody there. There's like the entire like uh, cast of like the crazy horse in Paris. And no, I haven't been there, but I have watched Beyonce's partition video. And while I know everyone's gonna be like, those are the rockets, you dumbass. It's so like, it gave me this old timey vibe of that the women at the crazy horse do. And they're also wearing like old timey swim caps and doing some pretty shitty tap dancing. And not that I'm any sort of expert, but I am pretty sure a 100% of those women will get cut from Kelly McGonagall Finn glasses, Dallas Cowboys cheerleader squad, because well, my expectations for the movies may now be high. Uh, those kicks are low. And I will put it on my Instagram so you can see what I'm talking about. But anyway, fun detour. I love to revisit a movie, a TV show, a thing that I was really into before I knew that like maybe I shouldn't have been seeing that as a child because they stick with you. They really do. Like I am still very, very afraid of women in silky negligees with layered necklaces smoking cigarettes because of Miss Hannigan. Similarly, I think I'm overly trusting of dry cleaners because of their willingness to overlook that I might be hiding in a basket plotting my great escape from the filthy orphanage like Mr. Bundles. I think he knew Annie was in there. I just, I don't know, guys. These things influence us, and this is why I'm always telling you pop culture matters. What was I talking about? The Golden Globes? Yeah, I mean, I just think that um, we're just not in a society anymore that values this, like, untouchability of, of the traditional celebrity, and there's something different and more relatable that's attracting us now. And the viewing experience for cinema, for television, is different than it once was with streaming. And I just I don't know the best way to recommend they modernize, but I just feel like there's a huge opportunity to really change it. And I know the Oscars tried with like out a host, but it still was stiff and boring. And what are you going to do? I mean, I live for like the one really great speech. And I I do like listening to acceptance speeches because I imagine I just like putting myself in the shoes of somebody. It's like, wow, that's like such a big moment, milestone in life. And like, how are you going to use that time? And uh, anyways, I just the Golden Globes watching experience was interesting overall. I actually I do need to shout out somebody. Um, well, I it'd be and I stayed in nearby my house. I was kind of having a meltdown. I, I have this issue where I live in an apartment that's fairly small. When I need to like focus for something like my shows, um, I like talk out loud to myself and I work better at night. And that just like when you have like a husband like that's getting up and going to work and like a dog and like you, you don't want to be disruptive. It's like I'm having trouble working in my own house and my home office has been like really driving me crazy lately. And it's nobody's fault other than like I'm legit nocturnal and it just like doesn't work. So I was like really panicking. I really I decided like kind of soon before that I was going to do this PowerPoint thing for my New York show and couldn't focus. Anyways, long story short, a and b near my house let me stay there for the night um, and I got so much work done and I just pulled an all nighter and it was glorious. It's called Villa de Chita. It, Chita means city in Italian. It's an Italian villa in Lincoln Park. If you live in Chicago, you have to go. I told them I'd shout them out because I got so much work done. Not only did I watch the Globes and have all these astute observations you're now hearing, I also stayed up all night, like talked into a mirror, walked to and from the heated floors in the bathroom. It was like this gorgeous suite. suite. It sleeps for it had a fireplace. 
it's just like this gorgeous villa. They do weddings, bridal showers. It looks like it's, a, you know, a Tuscan villa. They have like all sorts of stuff. They have like a theater. They have a hot tub. They have this beautiful back patio. When you get there, there's like wine on tap. You can have like a welcome glass of wine. You can have whatever you want in the kitchen. They make breakfast every morning. I don't know. It's just beautiful. They have like a Tuscan suite, a Milan suite, a Caesar suite. They have all sorts of themed Italian suites. And it's on Halstead and like Webster, if you're familiar with Chicago. Anyways, this is where I was sitting while I was having all these thoughts. And I had to shout them out. It was very nice of them to let me stay there for a night. They usually have a three night minimum. Um, But I got so much work done. It was heavenly. And I'm like hoping I like want to go like twice a month just to like have my best thoughts and like write books and stuff. I really think I believe in the like Harry. I almost just said Harry David Thoreau, you know, like when a transcendentalist sends you a gift basket, <laughs> Henry David Thoreau, uh, Walden Pond model of like isolation to produce great work. I don't think I have clarity otherwise. And if my focus is broken, I'm done. So and uh, anyways, thanks to Villa de Cheetah for letting me stay there. Uh, follow that on Instagram at Villa de Cheetah. This isn't like a formal ad. I just like told them I chilled them out because I was so appreciative and I want more people to know about it. I've lived in Lincoln Park for forever and just like wasn't really aware of its existence. So anyway. For my non-ad ad, <laughs> just go to villadecita.com, V-I-L-L-A-D-C-I-T-T-A.com uh, and check it out. They were awesome. If you ever need to, you know, if you live in Chicago, need a creative retreat as well. I'm dying to, I like want to plan a creative retreat so badly, but that's the thing is I know if other people are there, I won't get work done. So it's like, do I go rent a luxurious cabin to be alone and then get terrified at night when I watch things like the 1982 musical adaptation of Annie? Hard to say. Hard to say. Anyways, guys. Okay. So the other thing that, you know, obviously my conundrum earlier of being like really important things, really unimportant things. I am like reading all about the brush fires uh, on Sunday night while I'm at Villa de Chita. But also I'm like equally as concerned and horrified by Juliana Rancic's like Donatella Versace wig. Is this like not sitting on the right part of her forehead? I am like, how are these decisions being made? Like she's a beautiful woman. Like that was a really bizarre miss. And then Derek Blasberg tweeted major shade toward her. Uh, which is shocking given that he's in bed with so many celebrities. You would think he wouldn't want to like really burn bridges at all. And I just, I don't know. I feel kind of badly for her. And I used to love the show Juliana and Bill. And um, I don't know. I kind of want her to come on the podcast because she lives in Chicago part-time, but I don't know if she would. I just think that it's an interesting uh, career trajectory of her like dominating the red carpet. And then obviously what happened with Zendaya was so unfortunate. And she was kind of the first person to, I feel like really feel the effects of cancel culture and she kind of has trouble, had trouble finding her footing ever since. I just like, don't know where uh, TV entertainment news can really go because we get information so quickly now. And a TV network can't editorialize stories. So then they just end up, they report as like boring relative to what we can see on Daily Mail or like on a random person's Instagram stories. You know what I mean? Like we want more juice, but anything, any financial entity tied to anybody or any studio like can't do that. And even in like doing this podcast, you talk to networks and different things and you're just I'm always just like, first and foremost, can I say what I want and do what I want and talk about what I want for how how long I want? Usually the answer is no. Um, So I think that like it's just an interesting thing where people want to legitimize content mediums only to have, you know, get involved with some sort of ownership that ultimately limits that limits their ability to be more authentic and. It's fascinating. But anyway, uh, moving into Monday, January 6th, we have the Puerto Rico earthquake. More than 500 earthquakes have rattled Puerto Rico in 10 days. Like, what is even happening? Yet still, The Bachelor has searched more than that. We have the premiere of Pilot Peter. Peter, Peter, Pilot Peter. Um, You know, 
he's cute. He bangs in a windmill four times. Happy for him. I just like, I don't know. You know, part of my lack of interest is like, I don't need more bad puns related to male occupations that are bachelors. We, you know, I will never forget Jake Pavelka on the Wings of Love. It was kind of like Chris the Farmer, kind of like Ari the race car driver, who was like not at all a race car driver, but like Ari Leyendijk, you know, senior leasing agent, wasn't quite as sexy. Apply for The Bachelor. It's the lease you can do. You know, something like that. I think he actually does sell houses, but in my head, he's a leasing agent. Um, It's not about Peter. You know, it's not really about Peter and the puns, though. It's more so like Mike Johnson was a perfect bachelor. Beyond that, it was an opportunity for ABC to cast the first black bachelor. And any, you know, any suggestion that Peter was the better candidate is utter, utter bullshit. Mike is four years older than Peter. He has he's in finance. He was he's an Air Force vet. If you, if you want somebody who's involved with planes, Mike is, too. He stood up to that a-hole Luke. He was charming as hell. He flirted with Demi Lovato, but not to the point of intrusion, like Tyler C. going to Gigi's grandparents' funeral. Um, you know, I just think Mike was the better candidate, and it's an important, you know, it's it's a responsibility of the network to incorporate representation and diversity where they can, and the fact that it was a great candidate paired with a, finally a chance for them to do the right thing and to better represent their audience it just enrages me that they didn't take the opportunity to feature a great guy. And like, I don't know. I just don't really get, I don't know. Something about Peter's a little bit boyish to me. And I'm like T Swift who, you know, is into boyish looks that I like in a man. Um, I, I'm not here for it. So anyway, and also like, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't finish it, but then I read a recap. Apparently spoiler alert. Um, Hannah B comes back but then leaves, but then, like, she decides to, like, have the girls write down, like, their wildest sex experience, like, read it in front of an audience, which, um, that would be my cue. I thought it was bad when Jason Mesnick made, you know, Melissa Rycroft and Molly Mullaney and co. break out into song, but I'd sooner do a Bachelor nursery rhyme than, you know, tell about my wildest tales of a roll in the hay. I mean, honestly, I would probably just do somebody else's work and see if anybody noticed. Um, you get up there, slam poetry style, you're like, a few cards and letters and one long distance call. We drifted away like the leaves in the fall. But year after year, I come back to this place just to re like remember the taste of strawberry wine. And then people are like, what? And then you're like, yeah, Dina Carter, look her up, poet laureate. and basically they're like that's not like raunchy enough and you're like um excuse me the hot july moon saw everything she could have said saw some stuff but she didn't they saw everything that is as hot and heavy as it gets my next option of course as you know my second favorite song about virginity crash on the floor when i moved in this little bungalow with some strange new friends Ugh, so good anyway moving on it was probably just to make the um oh, pilot haha uh first episode interesting but also I watched it a little bit on Monday. I'm just not that interested anymore. But they just straight like they, they just like cut out the middleman, just like mattresses, sofas, eyewear, teeth whiners. We're all cutting out the middleman. And Revi Revolve decided to cut out the period of time where they pretend to actually like care about their jobs or their causes or their pageants or whatever it is the hell they do prior to getting involved to Revolve Fest and going to Coachella, Stagecoach and the like. 
hanging out in the Revolve house and wearing boots with shorts. The Revolve just came straight on The Bachelor and was like, hey, we're here and we're ready for you. And let's just cut to the chase. You know, why 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 beat around the bush and pretend like you need a paradise stint to become a Revolve girl? You know, everyone else in the world is utter garbage. They need at least a million followers to even be sent a, a, a free top by for love and lemons. But no, you people that have never worked a day in your life that get on this show that allegedly are looking for love and feel like it's too late at 21 with your tiny bodies and immature personalities and huge ass hair by Chrissy Arizona born hair extensions. You are the change. You are the people we want in this world. And you are the people we need on the front lines with Cassie, Hannah G and Tasha at, at Stagecoach. Well, hopefully the entire through line of plot for Bachelor in Paradise goes down because that's where every former kicked off contestant goes, hooks up, gets mad about it, exchanges texts and then leaks them to the rest of the world. But I don't know if you wear revolve clothes and then have some sort of brilliant uh, caption like macrame girl. Hey, it's like, well, thank God somebody is being the change because if the, the award shows aren't cutting it. Uh, at least ABC is doing their part by absolutely launching, propelling forward the careers of uh, thin white women all over America. They're, they're really giving a second life to women in the pageant circuit. I'll give them that. And while I'm I'm I've, ch- I've changed my tune a bit with pageants, given that, well, Hannah B turned out to be nice. And, you know, Kaylin had a really compelling story last year. And even though I don't support her van lifestyle with Dean, not for any other reason that like, I just think, he, you know, I, I feel like there's a real oxymoron in being in a relationship and living out of a van. It's like one part of you wants to be so environmentally untethered while being literally trapped in a small moving box with other people. I just think it's confusing. But then also, per how Annie influenced me, I also was influenced by van hotties because Cody from Step by Step, Suzanne Summers, I think stepson, once they Brady bunched, he lived in a van in the driveway and he was like hot and got tons of chicks. And like, I don't know, maybe Dean's a modern Cody. And for that, I kind of understand. But anyway, I have changed my tune with pageants because Camille Schreier won Miss America recently. She was Miss Virginia. She also went to Virginia Tech. She also was a Kappa Delta at Virginia Tech. And I am from and went to and am all of those things. And like she did a science experiment on stage. She was the perfect balance of, you know, uh, being put together in classy and having charisma, but disrupted what used to be skill sets only limited to like singing and dancing and things that were quite literally like pageantry. But she showcased a real world skill. She showcased intelligence. She completely took a risk and it paid off and like i'm just proud to be a sister so aot to camille and no offense to pageants if people are actually gonna try to make them change for the better to be more representative of realistic careers of stem opportunities that young women should see themselves in and i mean overall if we're not regressing if we're showcasing representation and careers and qualities that matter and women of the future that little girls can look up to i'm all for it i just don't want people you know looking I don't know. When I was younger, I like only watched Miss USA and Miss America because I'd be like, oh, I can't wait till the correspondents talk about the butt glue, <laughs> you know? OK, so now we're at Wednesday, January 8th. At this point, I am now in New York. I get up early to go on the radio, to go on Sirius XM with Michelle Collins, who I love, who's so funny and talented. And like, I could just talk to her all day. And I wish I lived in New York so I could go on that show more because it's just it's so fun. And she just she, she like talks to herself for three hours a day. And like, I get it. Um, I got I, I went on. She told me to come on to promote the show, which was so nice. But also I went because I needed to like get up and get out and get dressed and like start to focus. And then I was in my isolation booth all day for the show. Uh, but the big stories that day were, of course, the plane crash. Uh, I'm so obsessed with plane crashes. I mean, well, now we know that allegedly Iran actually shot it down. But at the time it was like, was it a Boeing 737-800 issue? 
was the 5% of those planes were having experiencing cracks. And I'm like, oh my God, it's kind of like we all want to know what was wrong so we can like avoid it. Not that we can't avoid it. And actually, as it relates to any other industry, the incidence rate of, of uh, airplanes is, is incredibly small. And when you look at it from a Six Sigma standpoint, they're, they're um, I'm, I mean, never mind. I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> uh, I'm, not a, I'm not scared of flying and I have a lot of like thoughts about airplanes, but eh, not the time, not the place. We're still only on January 8th. Um, you know, the big story this day, in addition to one Harry and Meghan, which I'll get to, is, you know, Justin Bieber has Lyme disease. I feel like I know a disproportionate amount about Lyme disease, or I've researched it a disproportionate amount because of Yolanda during her divorce with David Foster and her ultimate departure from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. But then also she said that Bella and Anwar had it, but now none of them talk about it. You know, doing a deep dive about Lyme disease on a sleepless night is a good use of time. Not only the mystery surrounding the inception of it, but also the, uh, you know, the the way Western medicine approaches it and the way the CDC classifies it, the treatment plans and the management plans going forward are just not like any other disease. And it's incredibly hard to diagnose. It's incredibly hard to have people validate that chronic Lyme is a thing. And I think the way the CDC uh, defines it is that it's both quickly and easily curable with antibiotics. But the controversy lies in people believing that chronic Lyme is a very real disease that isn't covered by insurance. It doesn't have a specific guideline, treatment plan, management plan, protocol like a normal illness would. And like if doctors diagnose it, I I got, gather that they're like risking themselves getting investigated um, because it's so open ended and a lot of places do not acknowledge its existence whatsoever. So so often a diagnosis is coming from alternative medicine, Eastern medicine. And it's just this thing that like has no pharmaceutical investment. And a lot of people have such bizarre symptoms that can be tied to so many other diseases. It's hard to uh, identify when it's Lyme specific and people get accused of like it being in their head and it being psychosomatic. And there's like a lot of migrating pains and mental fog and like mental illness associated with it. So people don't take you seriously. And like, I don't know, it's just this whole really interesting thing that I don't know how to feel about. And um, it's like worth looking into. But also last week, Selena had her song Rare come out. I, I don't know how she's doing, but like, it's kind of interesting. They're, you know, formerly a couple. We watched them like, remember that video from Radar Online where we saw them like in a part of L.A. with like they're kind of in like a bodega and like a rough part of town. And like they saw cameras and like started running and it was clearly like a drug deal. I, I have not forgotten about this. Um, I really think they were a bad influence on each other. I don't think it's a secret that they've both dabbled in drugs. And I do think it's interesting that when they're accused of drugs, they both kind of um, make sure to remind people that, that they, they are both ill. Selena's is a serious autoimmune disorder with lupus. And I'm not saying I don't believe her. But I'm just saying like Justin like is really not looking good right now. And if it's mono and if it's Lyme, he, he says he has chronic mononucleosis and chronic Lyme disease. Um, it's just kind of an interesting thing where like sometimes when celebrities are in the hospital for exhaustion, you're like, yeah, but, you know, translated, that's also like a coke bender. It's confusing. And I think that I'm so suspicious of Selena Gomez. I like her and I want good things for her. But also she's no longer friends with Francia, the actress from The Secret Life of the American Teenager, who she's been best friends with for life to the point where Francia gave her a kidney for her lupus. And now they don't speak. You know, the only thing that wouldn't make me speak to my BFF for Elle that I love so much that I gave her an organ is if she was taking advantage of that organ and not living a healthy lifestyle and doing anything to help herself when I literally gave her part of me. And I'm just concerned all around. So, of course, you know, this day, what happens right before my show? And I'm like, I don't even have time to take this on. But yowzas. I think the first sign should have been not giving Archie a royal title. I think they've been planning Megxit for a while. But of course, yes, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are make an announcement about their decision to step down as senior members of the royal family. 
I will read through this step by step. But first, I have to address something else that happened. Perhaps this is the next morning, but of, of great importance before we go too far down the uh, royal rabbit hole, because I am still not over this. If there's one thing we have good going for us in the, you know, in the latter part of, of 2019 and going into 2020, it's that thank God we have Lizzo. And Jillian Michaels decides to take this on and say something not only incredibly rude and unnecessary, but also like inaccurate as like, God, she says she's talking about Lizzo and she says, why are we celebrating her body? Why does it matter? Why aren't we celebrating her music? Because it's it isn't going to be awesome if she gets diabetes. Okay. First of all, equating your size with health is if, if you're a health and fitness professional, do you like honestly want to be spreading that message as if big equals unhealthy, slim equals healthy? It's inaccurate. It's incredibly dangerous. And people can be extremely healthy, independent of their size. But beyond that, people are allowed to exist without the pressure to change their size. And people's size doesn't necessarily solicit your automatic commentary if you're talking about her music, because in your point being, why are we celebrating her body? Why does it matter? Why aren't we celebrating her music? You then choose to give your own two cents on her body, which is incredibly rude, misguided and damaging messaging to be putting out to the universe as a health and fitness professional yourself. And we're celebrating her body because for the, you know, for the first time in a long time, we have a person, a beautiful, talented woman who can represent multiple segments of the population that aren't people like you that are tiny fit five two brunette gym rats like and beyond that i'd argue you know i can't so much as get through juice without feeling incredibly winded from singing lizzo you know performs probably five times a week for two plus hour sets at a time not only is she dancing and singing she is also playing the flute so, Jillian Michaels, I don't know if you're familiar with the lung capacity it takes to just play a woodwind, but it would wind you because it is impossible to maintain that level of breathing while dancing and singing a full set. Like, it takes so much stamina. So, pretty safe to say she's doing just fine in the cardio department, but also not unlike Toby Keith put a boot in your ass, Jillian Michael put a flute in your ass because. Lizzo's the American way and you're just gonna have to deal with it and like I just I like I don't know I just I, I'm I just don't know why she went after Lizzo and also it's I think it's one of those things where anymore I'm like frustrated by the assumption that the way somebody looks dictates what they are like you can be very strong without being like chiseled muscular you can be very healthy without being rail thin we can be a lot of things without these traditional depictions of how they're supposed to look in the extreme. And the extremities are what gives people such horrible body image issues in the first place. So when you call yourself a health health and fitness professional, while then also holding women to impossible standards and stereotypes of what it looks like to be healthy, sometimes I just think it's a reflection of how sometimes these gurus are perhaps the unhealthiest people of all and that they have such a distorted view of their own body image. And, you know, kind of channel that negativity to project onto other people what they should look like. And I, it frustrates me. But this is why we need Lizzo, because, like, honestly, we need to enter 2020 just feeling good as hell. Like, can you listen to good as hell without feeling that way? It's just these are the messages we need in this life. And for her, I'm grateful. I think I'm especially riled up about this because somebody asked on a Q&A yesterday about um, my thoughts on MLMs. And I was explaining that my my primary issue above all else, above the business model itself is the what's clearly 
a, a top-down initiative for the way outreach should be done to market these products. And by products, I mean to market the financial success and independence. Allegedly, these products give women, which they don't at all because 75 percent break even or lose money who join MLMs. Then as an actual survey is from AARP. But beyond that, you know, yeah, like if these products are so great, they'll sell themselves. But also none of these people are selling the products. They're selling people to get on their teams because the products aren't that great. And they join somebody else's team being promised this financial freedom and independence, realize that, oh, it's probably really stupid to think that I'm going to have immense success if a company is requiring me to pay them to work for them. Red flag number one, do not buy inventory up front. That's insane. Then these people who are probably well-meaning and do want the financial independence they were misleadingly sold then have to get more people on their team because in order for them to not completely ruin their family's lives and to break even at best, they don't need to sell more of the product. God, no, the product is not about the product. It's about getting more people on a team to make the people at the top rich who are at the top a bunch of men who are telling a bunch of women that they can be boss babes and entrepreneurs if they tell other people that this is their ticket. And by ticket, I mean send a bunch of off-putting messages to women in vulnerable situations that you have no business prying your, your nosy head into that are not only offensive, but are also undermining women's self-confidence, making them feel badly and projecting a problem onto them unsolicited that you nor anybody needs to solve until they are first asked. You don't slide into DM saying it was somebody that just posted a photo of the baby they had because they wanted to share it with their loved ones. If you went to middle school with them, you don't slide into their DMs and say, oh, I'm sure you want to lose the baby weight. Like, no. You don't go up to somebody on a playground staying at home with their kids and tell them they were made for more. You don't target a woman in the parking lot of the daycare telling them she could stay at home with her babies. If, you know, she joined your team and made money, maybe she wants to be at work. Maybe somebody wants to be at home. Maybe somebody doesn't give a shit if they have a few extra pounds of baby weight on because, I don't know, you just 3D printed a human being. It's exhausting. It's incredible. And we don't need to have every single moment of our lives offered to be fixed by somebody else we don't know, don't care about who's even if the messaging itself wasn't offensive, I'd be so offended by the rampant, irresponsible use of emojis that I wouldn't even respond anyway. Uh, You know, I'm sure that a lot of you have found success in them. And I know that it's unfair to make blanket blanket statements, but I'm fired up because I got so many examples from people of inappropriately timed um, outreach that I am just like, you know, even if this is the job for you, even if you found success you know, whatever. As I've said, I, I am a, I am a promoter of personal decision making. Um, and if that's your decision and that's been helpful for your family, great. So long as you aren't misleading people about their financial futures, so long as you actually are supporting a product you believe in and that is not harmful. But whatever your situation is like, I just beg of anybody, never, ever project onto anybody what what are or should be their needs their wants their desires as it relates to them their families their financials their health their bodies their image it is none of your business not everybody has to be more be made for more rachel hollis be told that they should be doing x y or z or made to feel bad about their life and their decisions their their decisions if you do feel like you want to be doing other things and you are made for more i'd argue it's not made for more. It's made for lots. There's no more or less in someone's personal decision making. It's subjective. It's what means the most to them. And if you're meant for to do a lot of different things, great. If you're meant to do one thing really well, great. Why am I talking about this? Did I start with Lizzo? I mean, I guess for my 2020 experience, let's just all allow ourselves to exist without letting people tell us we need to 
you know, be more or way less for starters. My goodness, I'm all about existing. And, you know, I know that's hypocritical coming from a person that's literally not letting anybody exist who, who falls into any bucket of the rant I just went on. But, you know, as any mature grown ass woman would say, they started it. And for the rest of us, you know, I talked about it in my live show. There's a popular tweet about this going on in 2020, like, let's let people live. And, you know, largely I agree with that. And my fear always, too, especially with talking about influencers and whatnot, is like, I don't want to be trollish. I don't want to nitpick. I believe, you know, we can have fun with it and find humor in it without being mean. Um, but you know, I think the tweet was like, if you want to post a photo in a bikini bending over, like, or someone wants to do that, let them. If somebody wants to gush about their spouse in a caption, let them. If somebody wants to have a million swipe up links and brand partnerships, let them. And like, yeah, sure. Um, let them in a sense of like, we don't need to push back and rage against everything everyone does all the time. We need to have hard and fast limits for what we think is appropriate to DM somebody about. Nobody needs your commentary on their external appearance. Nobody needs your commentary on their family, especially not their children, not their spouse. Nobody needs your commentary on their outward appearance or their inner circle. It's just not appropriate. And for people that don't know them personally. What's on the table, I'd argue, is like, you know, you should make fun of me because I facetuned my hands when I was showing off my to tortoise manicure because I was fearful that my wrinkly old hands would just detract from the artistry of the person that did my nails who I was trying to tag. I don't want to make things worse for her by by tagging her. Um, I'm kind of kidding, but I really did facetune my hands. It was it was tough. I I was shocked. I need to, you know, what did Leanne Locke can do before her wedding? Get hand pan Botox? Um, can I get that in every single finger? I'm not really sure. Um, but anyway, guys, I just mean like, I think there's a fine line of what is and isn't okay to scrutinize. I think, you know, what I've learned is if somebody hears this, I have to be okay with that. And I have learned this because several people I've talked about have heard this and have messaged me and I've had to stand behind anything I've said. Um, I just like, I don't know. I, I, I go back and forth. I want people to exist and be happy, but also if you're making money off of the people that follow you, there has to be a little bit of space for, you know, feedback and for humor, because to me, as it relates to influencers, which, you know, I've had so many thoughts about, I wrote a book about it. Like, uh, when I was at a lower point in life, like it really like did frustrate me that like all anybody was doing was like going to meetings, going to brand launches and collabs, taking photos of adorable cocktails and, you know, like going on trips and just making friends with all of these fabulous people wearing combat boots and jorts. And like, I just I don't know, it did like hit my self-esteem. And what I've learned over time is, you know, a to just like in general, maybe try to feel better about myself. And it's really in my issue and not anybody else's. But B, that at times being able to look at things objectively and being able to find humor is the the line that enables me to um, go from irrational comparison to a rational separation. It's like an Enneagram. It, what are you when you're healthy? What are you when you're unhealthy? When I'm unhealthy, I'm comparing. When I'm healthy, I'm separating. And for me to be able to laugh at the things that maybe I think are unrealistic depictions or maybe making me feel a little bit behind or whatever it may be, that's my ability to like, I don't know. I just think it's important. I, I, 
think that maintaining a level of humor, laughter, and uh, perspective about all things social media and influencer related is is so important because then we're not giving it space to like affect us as deeply, I think, at times. And also, like, I think the whole point of this podcast for me is like my loyalty. While I have always wanted people to like cut influencers, like give them a break, because I think that it's, uh, you know, an industry that isn't taken seriously at all. But people are making serious money and making it into a serious job. It's like, why don't we just get on board? But my loyalty is to like you guys into the things that like women, you know, and men, whoever listens to this, really, mostly women want to be able to talk about that's not that aren't being represented elsewhere and the things that are affecting us in our lives and influencers have become a part of our day to day lives. And if you're not going to talk about it, you know, on like another outlets, then like, why can't we? And beyond that, that mentality of like, let's just let people live in 2020. What it does is it protects the content creator. It's like. It's not a it's it's not a consequence that people feel who are the ones whose, you know, eyeballs, as I always say, are being monetized. It's protecting the person sharing questionable content. And I'm not really here to protect them. I'm here to defend our right to be able to discuss things that are public facing, that are profited off of and that involve us very directly. And I think there is a balance we can strike. So, yes, I'm going to let people live in. 2020 but i also want to let people laugh in 2020 i want to let people love in 2020 and lurk in 2020 we're going to live and laugh and love and lurk in 2020 the the best way we know how when we can still do it with kindness and respect and light snark and not you know mean-spirited nonsense and nitpicking that is drives me absolutely insane like that's when i want to let people live it's like you know when people are commenting on somebody like wearing something often or like dishes being in the sink or like mess in the background period and selfies. Like I understand my sister not wanting to like date somebody whose Bumble profile is their toilet paper on the counter when like the holder's right there and it's like not that hard. But with like bloggers, influencers or whatever, if you want them to be real and authentic, like isn't it okay that they're not always like in order or they repeat clothes or like whatever? It's like, which do you want? Do you want manufactured perfection or do you want them to be authentic? But then when your authenticity is picked apart, like, that's such a frustrating, thankless place to be. So I think that like there really is, you know, people do need to check themselves at times. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? What was I talking about? Lizzo? This was like 5,000 years ago. Um, oh, right. <clears throat> Harry and Meghan. Harry and Meghan stepping down as senior members of the royal family. Some people calling it Megxit. Some people saying Arrivederci. <clears throat> Doesn't roll off the tongue. I kind of like when Harry met Callie, which I just made up. but. You know, I don't know if he's that taken with California. It does seem that Canada's the clear residence. But anyway, so what happened was, and I, it, it's funny because by the time I get around to podcasting these things, even I'm sick of hearing about them. I get sick of the dialogue. I feel like Megan uh, kind of incites this very polarizing dialogue about people thinking she's like a, you know, a snake and like a person who's like super calculated and who planned this the whole time. And she's like taking it down from the inside and she like ruined everything. Versus people who are like, I think she's like a normal person that just like doesn't want this for her life and like cares about her son and like probably had a career and she's, you know, 37, 38 and, you know, wants to be able to be with her husband who she fell in love with, maybe independent of his title, also kind of live her own life that she built for herself and not have to give up absolutely everything. Like, I know you can't have it both ways, allegedly, but like, who's to say she shouldn't try? I don't know. I think the thing with Meghan Markle is regardless of where you stand, um, the Per, the, the perpetual question has always been, is she the problem 
or is she the first to expose and respond to a larger institutional problem? And I think that nobody knows for a fact. And I think when people get heated and clap back at people over something where we're lacking facts and we're just solely lying on our own interpretations is where we all go wrong. So let's all get along, Marie Meghan Markle. As you know, I am on the side that tends to support her. But I also, for the most part, I don't think that like, I don't know. I just I just don't think most people have these like sinister underbellies where they're like calculating and trying to, you know, dismantle things from the inside for their own personal gain. Like, I just don't think most people are like that fundamentally evil and calculated. And also, like, I do think that like Americans are different. And I think that she didn't grow up with the same reverence or understanding of the monarchy. She doesn't, you know, I think everything that she's supposed to feel about them had to be learned. Whereas there's something a little bit more innate. If you're, you grew up in the UK, if she is your leader, a different level of respect and understanding you have. And even if she could have like been fully prepped to marry into this family, did she fully understand it? Did she understand the limitations? Did she understand the scrutiny? Did she understand, um, you know, really what it looked like to have an inability to make any sort of outside income whatsoever. And the more you look into their announcement, the more it reads as being like strictly financial. At first, I thought it was more like emotional severance from the family, like wanting to get out, wanting to live somewhere else. It was just media scrutiny. But like, it seems to keep coming back to the nature of their income and their them wanting to not use public funds. I think that when they snapped in the when they started commenting was around the time they went to Elton John's like villa in France or something, took his plane and stayed at his place. And that uh they people thought like the british taxpayers like pay were paying for these flights and they weren't and like that's when megan right soon after came out and said like i didn't think this would be easy but i thought it would be fair i tried to keep this british se- sensibility of a stiff upper stiff stiff upper lip all this stuff um and i just think that they above, above all else do not want to be accused of using the taxpayer dollar and obviously their renovations like frogmore and stuff were um you know, under scrutiny. And then people are going to say, well, you can't have your cake and eat it too, because you had all these, these benefits. Um, and now you want to like sever ties, but also still kind of have one foot in. And I don't know, it's fascinating. Let me, let me read the statements. Um, so on Wednesday, they release a statement that says after many months of reflection and internal discussion, we've chosen to make a transition this year and starting to carve out a progressive new role within this institution, within this institution, mind you. Um, We intend to step back as senior members of the royal family and work to become financially independent while continuing to fully support Her Majesty the Queen. We now plan to balance our time between the United Kingdom and North America, continuing to honor our duty to the Queen, the Commonwealth, and our patronages. This geographic balance will enable us to raise our son with an appreciation for the royal tradition into which he was born, while also providing our family with the space to focus on the next chapter, including the launch of our new charitable entity. Um, And then perhaps in the weirdest part of this was the response of uh, Buckingham Palace, which I almost didn't believe at first. They released a statement that just said discussions with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are at an early stage. We understand their desire to take a different approach, but these are complicated issues that will take time to work through, Um, which is kind of interesting on so many levels. But that basically said this suggested that they did not clear this with, the queen with charles with the cambridges um they understand the desire but they're complicated and they'll take time to work through it was just like so open-ended so short and like i think they were shocked and so then the world goes into shock um and uh the bbc said no other royal including the queen or prince william 
was consulted before Harry and Meghan made their announcement and said that other members of the royal family were hurt and disappointed. I think where the real helpful thing comes in that I feel like not enough people are talking about is they did a full explanation and breakdown on their website, SussexRoyal.com, to explain what this means financially. And again, it just seems financial. Um, They explain that up until now, only 5% of their official offices costs were funded by the Sovereign Grant, which is the annual money given to the Queen by the government to cover the costs of her and the royal family's official expenses. The other 95% of the funding comes from private income generated by the estate of Prince Charles, Prince Harry's father. So 5% of public funding, right? I'm currently reading, I'm reading from the Sussex Royal website, and I'm also reading a BuzzFeed News recap of their website because I thought they did the best job of synthesizing it without overcomplicating the financials. Um, During the course of 2020, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex have made the choice to set back as senior members of the royal family and no longer receive funding through the sovereign grant, thereby making them members of the royal family with financial independence. So mind you, again, the sovereign grant is 5% and that is taxpayer funds. Um, This phased approach will take time to transition in consultation with other senior members of the royal family, but their royal highnesses are hopeful that this change is in the best interest of all and look forward to carrying out their duties to the monarch, as well as their charitable work with financial autonomy. Um, While the contribution from the sovereign grant covers just 5% of costs for the Duke and Duchess and is specifically used for their official office expense, their royal highnesses prefer to release this financial tie, the couple said. Um, And so basically this move will enable Harry and Meghan to work for money. And that is something that they can't do. Will and Kate can't do. Charles and Camilla can't do. The Queen can't do, obviously. I think the financials of the royals are super fascinating. And it must be kind of weird to have alleged immense wealth and, you know, investments and property in this estate and partially in taxpayer funds, but like not actually have your own money. You know what I mean? I'm always like, how do you order Postmates? Do you have credit cards? Like, can you order stuff on Prime? I don't know. Like, how does Taylor Swift order Amazon Prime is what I want to know in this life. Okay, so moving on. Um, the They will support their official charities and they will said they'll carry out the duties in support of the monarchy at the request of the queen. So they're like not fully backed out. I guess they're just not senior members. And it's almost like, I don't know. They're like workfluencers, royal style. Like they're partially uh, committed to the queen and all of the royal initiatives as being part of this family, but also trying to carve out this new working model that like, I don't know. Is it like just because it hasn't been done? Is it the worst idea? Like, I don't think it's nec- I think it's less like greed and income generation oriented and more so the limitations of using taxpayer dollar, perhaps the guilt of them using it, too. And them not wanting to be targeted for using it for things they may need, like high, high security, which they do need, which that those terms aren't really clear either. Um, what I also thought what was interesting is that they will no longer participate in the Royal Rota, a de facto media system that gives a select group of UK outlets exclusive access to official engagements. Um, as we know, they have a tense relationship with the media in the UK. And Harry, uh, from the second they started dating, you know, spoke out against the media and then people like, you know, said he needed to protect Megan and people like Megan can protect herself. And like, yeah, but you know what he meant? Like he's always been by default, pretty uh, frustrated by skeptical of and harsh, uh, you know, he'll push back on the media. And as we saw with that interview from the Africa trip, you know, not only was Megan fighting back tears when addressing the unfair, untrue, you know, treatment she had felt that she felt, you know, thought would be fair, but wasn't. Um, 
Harry also said that the press's treatment of his wife brought back the trauma of the media's treatment of his mother, Princess Diana, obviously, and her death. And following that interview, they took legal action and sued a bunch of UK uh, news outlets for a breach of privacy and for, um, I guess, hacking their phones, which I need to read more about. So um, what they said on their website is that the Royal Rota was established more than 40 years ago as a way of giving UK print and broadcast media exclusive inside access to the official engagements of members of the royal family. Under this system, the Rota or pool gives these British media representatives the opportunity to exclusively cover an event on the understanding that they will share factual material obtained with the other members of their sector who request it. The UK media outlets currently make up this Royal Rota are the Daily Express, Daily Mail, Daily Mirror, Evening Standard, Telegraph, Times, and The Sun. In the statement, Harry and Meghan say that the Royal Rota system predates the dramatic transformation of news reporting in the digital age, and they were changing their media relations policy to reflect both their forthcoming changes members of the royal family with financial independence and their wish to reshape and broaden access to their work. Harry and Meghan said that they would give access to credible media outlets focused on objective news reporting and use social media to share information directly to the wider public. In this announcement of their new media relations policy, the Sussexes called out royal reporters and more specifically the editors of their publications for inaccurate reporting. I'm sorry I'm reading this to you, but this is, I think, the most informative. Any uh, paraphrasing I would do wouldn't really be helpful. Uh, They said... Britain's royal correspondents are regarded internationally as credible sources of both the work of the members of the royal family as well as of their private lives. This misconception propels coverage that is often carried by other outlets around the world, amplifying frequent misreporting. Regrettably, stories that may have been filed accurately by royal correspondents are also often edited, edited or rewritten by media editorial teams to present false impressions. So the statement emphasized that they do not uh, they do not object to media scrutiny as long as the coverage is fair. The Duke and Duchess believe in a free, strong and open media industry, which upholds accuracy and fosters inclusivity, diversity and tolerance. Their royal highnesses recognize that their roles as members of the royal family are subject to interest and they welcome accurate and honest media reporting as well as being held to account if appropriate. So this is just it's interesting on so many levels. It's financial and it's a lot to do with the media scrutiny. And um, BuzzFeed, I thought, also did a good job of pointing out, you know, people are like Kate Middleton endured this, too. Like and I agree. I agree to an extent that like Kate Middleton, especially early on, she was stalked, scrutinized, made fun of, poked at her weight was, you know, talked about constantly. Topless photos of her in France were published. She definitely received a lot of this prior to being in this, you know, latter part of her role as, you know, future queen consort as Duchess of Cambridge. But her heyday of speculation when they were like dating, engaged, whatever, like was in a different media era that was a little less digital, um, that probably was equally as salacious, but maybe not as widespread. And also it is different. Megan is a woman of color and like the subliminal messaging behind it's like i think this is what's hard to dissect and it's not the place of like white people to say like you're making it up it's in your head i think that it's just like a blind spot that has to be acknowledged if you haven't been subject to this kind of unfair double standard scrutiny just because they're not explicitly saying it's about race in the headline doesn't mean it's not and i think that like i was reading something somebody was saying basically like um, she's subjected to double standards that are intended to frame her as being like unfit, uncouth, ignorant, not not a good fit for the aristocracy, much less the royal family. And the, then kind of BuzzFeed put together headlines comparing like 
when she wore uh, wedges during her tour of Australia in uh, surrounding countries. It was all about how she broke royal shoe protocol and how Queen Elizabeth hates wedge shoes. But then like when Kate wears wedges, it's about Kate Middleton proved that these are the most versatile, versatile shoes of the summer. When uh, Kate Middleton was described as glowing when she cradled her like pregnant ba- baby bump, Meghan Markle was like widely shamed for doing the same thing. Um, like, let me read you the exact uh, literature of that one, because it's a good example. So Daily Mail, not long to go, pregnant Kate tenderly cradles her baby bump while wrapping up her royal duties ahead of maternity leave. And William confirms she's due any minute now. Megan, why can't Meghan Markle keep her hands off her bump? Experts tackle the question that has got the nation talking. Is it pride, vanity, acting, or a new age bonding technique? It's like, what? I mean, even I talked about this, too. She was like on video. She was holding her hands for so long that I think she was posing for pictures. And I think it almost like. And it's like Elizabeth Holmes says, like for the slideshow, like going forward. I don't remember when Kate was like pregnant with George or Charlotte or Louis or whatever. It's hard to like date them, time them. And especially when you have a very new growing bump and you're on this tour, I think she wanted to like commemorate or have a signifier of like this being the time she like literally had just announced Archie, like right before the trip or like the first day of the trip. Right. Or their baby. We didn't know it was Archie yet, but I think it was more so for photos. And I kind of wonder if she was like instructed to do it, you know. But anyway, um, another example would be like Kate's morning sickness cure. Prince William gifted with an avocado for the pregnant duchess. And then Meghan. Meghan Markle's beloved avocado linked to human rights, abuse and drought, (laughs) comma, millennial shame. Like what? Um, It's kind of like uh, unbelievable. Like Kate and Will's Inc. Duke and Duchess secretly set up companies to protect their brand, just like the Beckhams. And then Megan's headline is a royal right to cash in how Prince Harry and Meghan Markle trademarked over 100 items from hoodie to socks in six months before split with monarchy worth new empire up to 400 million. And then it's like scathing them for like trying to protect their brand. But like Kate, like you should. Kate and William did the same thing. Um, then it says like uh, the sun says Prince William blasts monarchy's stiff upper lip tradition and backs Harry's admission of his mental anguish after death of Diana. Similarly, the son says Prince Harry and Meghan ditched British stiff upper lip. Is this a good thing? Son, parents and kids are torn. And that's so you get it. Um, you, when you can't win, it must be utterly maddening. Uh, you never know what undertones these things are laced with and what people are getting at. It's weird that to from the press to just like not be given a chance, period, to have everything you do twisted. It would wear on you. And I feel like she has... I just don't really understand the assumption that she has bad intentions. I don't really understand the assumption that she's always trying to break this up. Like, I don't I think she wants like change and progress for herself and her family. But I don't think this is what she wants, period. I don't think anybody would enter into the situation wanting to be perceived as disruptive. You know what I mean? I think it's just what happened over time. And I think it's interesting when things that don't ultimately make people look that favorably uh, or favorable people think are these long-term concocted evil plans to ultimately make themselves like look bad. I, I don't know. Like she's, they're giving up like a lot of Royal perks and stuff and yeah, they may make a lot more money as a result independently, but, but who the heck knows? Um, Honestly, like, I don't really know if my opinion matters. I don't really know if I have one. It's like, You guys know that above all else, I firmly believe in the importance of revisiting the way things are done and that when people are like, it is what it is, this is how things have always been done. When you have that sort of uh, branded, inflexible resistance to change, to me, it's often a red flag for something being wrong because people are a little bit scared. And I think that you can choose to look at it as she's 
bulldozed and is trying to make something that's, you know, completely cemented with tradition. And she's trying to, like, break it apart and ruin it. Or you can kind of see them as trying to rebuild and trying to to modernize. And it's up to the individual to see what she's doing. I know everybody disagrees. I just think that, you know, if this senior role isn't right for them and it's not working and it's distressing on their marriage, their mental health, her being a mother, if they have the flexibility to carve out a space for themselves that works to have their child raised in both continents, to have a taste of you know, the royal tradition he was born into, along with some of what North America has to offer and the family and friends that Megan has surrounded herself with. And if they have the ability to not be, you know, using the taxpayers dollars so they can't be under the scrutiny of how they spend it. I just like don't I guess think it's all that crazy. And everybody's like calling it Megxit and like they're leaving the royal family, but they're just kind of like uh, stepping down like they're trying to I don't know the way I see it. They're kind of being like royal stepchildren and like splitting their time between the u.s and the uk and i think when i i don't know read all about the finances and the decision behind the media and all of this stuff i'm like i kind of get it i don't think it's that crazy but again i will be more from the megan persuasion where i'm not from you know i i don't know what it's like to be a british citizen and like how you feel about the queen and how that would affect how you feel about this and um what you know, like maybe the magnitude to the individual citizen, like what 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 it means of what she's breaking, like it just doesn't really mean much to me personally. So I don't want to speak out of turn, but I will say the queen is 93 years old. And if this has never really happened before, like I just can't imagine. I just would imagine it's very stressful. And I don't know if I feel bad for QE, too. Like, I think she's good. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's It's hard to develop a hard and fast opinion because honestly, none of us know anything. And we're just making opinions, forming opinions based off of what we're told in the media that apparently is very skewed anyway. So who the heck knows? Like, they're not asking for more money, though. It's like, yeah, on the one hand, I get people saying, like, they're biting the hand that fed them up until this point. But now they're basically saying, like, well, you don't want to be fed. So if you're going to bite the hand that feeds you, you're biting yourself. So what ifs? You know, I don't know. Please don't send me angry emails. I don't know anything, guys. I'm just rambling here. Really quick, let me tell you the result of the summit on Monday. Uh, Harry, William... Charles and the Queen met. Meghan was supposed to call in, but she actually didn't. And then the Queen released a statement. And the statement from Her Majesty the Queen was, Today my family had very uh, constructive discussions on the future of my grandson and his family. It says, My family, my grandson, his family. My family and I are entirely supportive of Harry and Meghan's desire to create... He also, she also said Harry and Meghan, not the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Sussex, to create a new life as a young family. Although we would have preferred them to remain full-time working members of the royal family, we respect and understand their wish to live a more independent life as a family while remaining a valued part of my family. <laughs> a lot of family. Uh, Harry and Meghan have made clear that they do not want to be reliant on public funds in their new lives. It is therefore being agreed that there will be a period of transition in which the Sussexes will spend time in Canada and the UK. They pre- previously were saying North America, but I think we knew they meant Canada. Um, she lived in Toronto forever while she uh, did suits and like her best friend Jessica Mulroney lives there. And they spent Christmas in Vancouver. Uh, these are complex matters for my family to resolve and there's some more work to be done, but I've asked for final decisions to be reached in the coming days. She didn't use any royal anything in that. It was my family, Harry, Meghan, my grandson, their family. It's so interesting. Um, the Daily Mail said, the fact that the Queen issued the statement in her name makes reference to my family and my grandson and his family is both deliberate and significant. 
The monarch has been deeply hurt by events of the past week, but has also been taken aback by the backlash against Harry after he issued a statement without letting her know first. The queen wants the world to know that she's not just boss of the firm, but also a grandmother. Then they say, referring to Harry and Meghan by their first names further personalizes the statement, emphasizing that this is a family trauma as well as a royal crisis. But it also gives rise to speculation that the couple may lose their titles and potentially their HRH, his and her, his or her royal highness status. Insiders point out that they are also referred to as the Sussexes later in the statement, but openly admit nothing can be ruled out at this stage. It then says the lack of detail on the statement. Harry and Meghan have made clear they do not want to be relying on public funds in their new lives speaks volumes. There is much to be sorted here. Harry and Meghan are predicted to make millions as a global brand, but it will not be cheap to maintain a transatlantic lifestyle for their family with at least two homes. The statement does not address if Charles will continue to fund his son to the tune of $2 million a year. It also avoids the issue of taxpayer-funded security and consular help. The royals fear any sense of cashing in could devalue their brand. Um, and then it says, for the statement, it has therefore been agreed upon that there will be a period of transition where the Sussexes will spend time in Canada and the U.K., in moving their son, their dogs, and their household over to Canada, Harry and Meghan have already signaled to the Queen that, for the immediate future at least, there is no intention of coming back. In, the, in this, the Queen has very little choice. She can't order them to return. She might as well capitulate in order to keep the peace while trying to formalize the new arrangements. And finally, the last statement. These are complex matters for my family to resolve, and there is some more work to be done, and I have asked for final decisions to be reached in the coming days. It says here the queen admits that she's uncharted, in uncharted waters, but makes clear her determination that officials work around the clock to produce an elegant solution. I'm going to steal that. I love that. An elegant solution. Elegance is learned. I love when things are, um, when the adjectives used to describe otherwise mundane things are, I don't know, so poetic, you know? Anyway, guys, I'm done talking about this. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Part of me kind of thinks that like they've had so much trouble in the past couple years and have felt so invaded, so offended, have felt that there wasn't a strong enough backlash against, you know, any racist commentary. And they've been kicking and screaming and trying to get the queen to care, Will and Kate to care, all this stuff. And they've the the royals like they do just ignore, ignore, ignore. They never address anything. But Harry and Meghan like wanted to address stuff. And they I, I just feel like maybe the, 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 the fact that they didn't tell the queen first is kind of them being like, Okay, you didn't think we were going to do it. You weren't listening. You weren't giving us the choice. We're out. And then they were like, "Oh, geez, we did not think you'd do this." Like, because uh, it's it's those like golden handcuffs, if you will. Like people think they don't have to, um, you know, things aren't up for discussion, and they don't have to negotiate or make things any more convenient for you if they can hang immense wealth, privilege, access, connections over your head, even if you're very unhappy and. Um, I don't know. Who the heck knows, guys? But moving on. I, uh, I'll wrap up here. I know other stuff happened since January 9th. It's now the 14th over the weekend, but it was like a lot of the trends were like a lot of football, a lot more Harry and Meghan. The Oscar noms were so white and so male, and who cares? I haven't seen any of them. The ones that got 10 nods were like The Irishman, 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's like, Whoa, Quentin Tarantino, how original. He seems normal and respectful. <sighs> anyway, uh, two, well, a couple things. So if you are in Nashville, I'm having a live show um, on February 15th. And I've now decided the kind of format of my live show is that each one will be a little bit different. And I'm going to take on a different topic as a deep dive in a drunk lecture format. 
where I will drink and deliver um, a PowerPoint about a ver various pop culture topics, depending on the city and the timing and what's going on wherever I go. In addition to that, I kind of like have a monologue that I change up every time I'll do a Q&A section. Sometimes I might have guests, but honestly, like, I don't know, I've, I'm I as crazy as it is. I even though I'm like not a performer and I'm new to this, I feel like what I do is talk to you or what I have done over the years is talk to you by myself. And if I can't do that on stage in front of you for like an hour and a half, then like, who am I and what is this? It would be a charade. But this is actually what I love to do and I'm comfortable doing. And even though it's very different in front of a live audience and it makes me nauseously ill beforehand, it's always so, so exciting and gratifying in person because after two years of seeing nobody react to anything I've said after, you know, this being so one-sided after not knowing what's funny or what's not, not being able to interact with you directly. It's like so incredibly rewarding and like magical to have the podcast brought to life and to see it have legs in another format. And it's just always been such like an escape for me and a thing that I don't even understand its reach. Cause again, I'm just sitting here questioning everything I say and hoping for the best. And to meet you guys is so incredible and rewarding. And like, everyone's so cool and like respectful of the venues and people have made comments about how great, like the audience itself is. And like, that makes me so proud. And um, I know podcast, like everybody has live shows and everyone has a podcast now and everyone has live shows now and ever. And I know people talk about them ad nauseum and it can drive people crazy especially if you don't go to places near you um but for me it's more so like i wanted to wait till i'd done this a while till i feel felt like i had the audience commitment and engagement where i i it was warranted to meet people where i thought people might actually come and uh beyond that for me it's just like i've always kind of kept you abreast if you will of my career status and like I literally have no idea like what this is or where it's going but it's just a really interesting other life form that the podcast has taken on that I find so much joy in and I've had so many people you know over the holidays and stuff be like what's the end game here and I'm like the end game is to keep doing things that utterly terrify me the end game is to see you know how far this podcast can go downloads wise see if it can have legs in a live format get to interact directly with people one-on-one -on -one who have lent me their ears and allowed me to monetize the podcast and I owe them a visit and I want to be able to get to know people better because this has been so one-sided up to this point. I feel so strongly about advocating for female long-form content and for there being a space for a woman to speak for two hours and not be accused of being long-winded, rambly, or like self-indulgent. And like any any content medium where you are the deliverer of the information is self-indulgent to a degree but i feel like after almost 100 episodes this is so much like broader than me and i can see that and i think it just frustrates me to no end when you know i'll talk to somebody about taking this podcast a step further or in some sort of management network something and they're like all about you know strong female voices but then the requirement is i have to cut it down to 40 minutes and then there'd be like five ads so basically the empowerment there is making sure i speak as little as possible and that's just not how we're going to do things around here and i don't care if like courtney and i are sitting around like counting ad dollars with an abacus like and everybody else is soaring flying there's not a star in heaven that they can't reach because of their their networks and their management and like whatever the hell else in 2020, I'm like freeing myself from comparison. It's such a competitive industry. So many people lap you so quickly that, you know, whether they gain their fame through the podcast or they start out with an audience that I've not even grown to in two years, like it's fine. 
there's room for everybody, there's space for everybody, and everybody brings different value to the table. And I believe strongly that podcasts should be way more than just opportunities for additional revenue streams to maximize your audience reach. If you already are a content creator in some other format, I really believe that they're an opportunity for intimacy, connection, and for like-minded people to find a sense of community from a series of topics that people might not always feel that they have that community in their immediate life. And um, I just hope that this year you'll continue to listen, continue to be engaged. If I do a live show near you, I'd love if you came. I'll try not to talk about them at nauseum. But yeah, uh, Nashville on February 15th, it's a Saturday, so I hope more people can come. The VIP tickets are sold out, like the meet and greets. Um, I'm going to, I don't know, we'll try, it's at four. So like, I, because honestly, like I, A, I thought it'd be more convenient for a lot of people, especially if you have kids or you're coming from out of town, but also like, I want to go out to like bars and live music later. So, you know, we'll, we can figure out a way. Um, but uh, it'll be really, really fun. So please like, go get drunk at brunch and then come laugh with me while I do a drunk lecture. Uh, I'm sure I'll incorporate some of my decade stuff, but also, you know, you know, I could talk about country music, T-Swift, et cetera, until the gals come home. Uh, but uh, so and other than that, we don't have any shows planned. We're going where we're invited. It's kind of a hard sell when you're new and you don't really know how many tickets you'll sell by market. And I don't then people get nervous to take a chance on you. And they're like, your slot is uh, Wednesday at 1 p.m. And I'm like, cool, cool. You come to a live show on your lunch break, I guess. Like, because otherwise, like, I just really don't know how they'll sell. And I'm not like at a level where I'm like selling out theaters. Uh, I just want to do like small form, like 150, 200 people comedy clubs. And uh, at the risk of gushing, um, truly, like last uh, Wednesday in New York was like one of the most special nights of my life. It was terrifying for me like i was so 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 scared um i like was on the verge the entire week like i said i pulled an all-nighter like a local like a staycation like i was just like what am i doing like i'm not a performer i'm not a comic everybody ever has guests to help them like anchor the time how am i going to carry 90 minutes if, if i've never done this before i had my sister in chicago which was so nice like there was just a lot of unknowns and a lot of greats have been at that you know, at Caroline's before. And there's a lot of people I knew in the audience, which is scary. And like everything about it shook me to my very core and uh, to go up there and deliver a PowerPoint and to talk about like flat lays and fashion and fiddly figs and like, Lord knows what, like stuff that like literally no comic is going up there talking about that. I don't even know if I didn't, I thought it was funny, but I don't know. I don't normally hear you guys laugh. It's a one-sided thing here. And like to hear you laugh and to have you be so engaged and like, to deliver a PowerPoint at a comedy club is just like what I didn't know I needed in my life. And I had the best time and the people at the meet and greet were so cool and so kind. And like, I'll, I just wish I could have spent more time with everybody and uh, going forward, I need to figure out a way to do that. But I just, from the bottom of my heart, like it really was a, it felt like a very transformational moment. Not, not for my career so much as just like uh, some, a win I needed for my own self-confidence, my own validation. It's, podcasts are so competitive and like it's hard to, it's hard when it's a slow burn and it's it's hard when a lot of like the networks and stuff don't get what I'm doing um and to have that in-person confidence boost of like this good work uh people like this <laughs> uh it, it it honestly meant the world to me and I don't mean to be overly indulgent in talking about it but I just hope you know like there's something so poetic to me about uh you know the last when the decade turned in January 8th 2010 it was the fateful night I met my now husband in a country western bar and we were two complete strangers passing and it was 
a transformational day then that defined the rest of my decade. And here's to hoping that January 8th, 2020 was also a transformational day that will define the rest of the decade for me. Uh, because if it does, it involves you. And if it involves you, I am the luckiest girl on earth. So happy belated new year. I hope you enjoyed the 2020 experience thus far. And uh, as always, you can reach me at podcast at be there and You can go to patreon.com slash be there and five to hear two fantastic interviews with my mom, whose birthday it was yesterday. Happy birthday, mom, the woman who gave me life. I love her so much. And uh, you can also leave an, a review five stars if you'd like that'd be cool uh rate subscribe review tell a friend post about any funny parts on instagram that'd be really cool that's really the only way i'll ever grow um is by people being told about it and giving it a shot and uh other than that i hope everybody has a really great week join the facebook group be there in five totally casual breezy facebook group uh, go to butcherbox.com be there in five or use code be there in five for three Free pounds of chicken for the lifetime of your monthly subscription. And uh, next week I have a guest. It'll be me and Hannah Burner from Summerhouse. I'm like a huge Summerhouse fan. And we have all sorts of fun conversations about like, you know, are you really comfortable like having a basic 24-7 Big Brother style like sex tape being filmed in the corner? Like Blair Witch Project Night Vision. Like what was that trailer? It was so crazy. We talk about a lot of things, but she was freaking awesome. I loved her. Uh, so I'm excited for that episode. Then I'll probably be by myself again. And then we'll all be recording with Merritt Beck while she's in Chicago. And we're going to dive into a topic I'm very passionate about, which are debutantes. Not because I was one, but because I find them fascinating. And I think she was in like six dead balls. And you heard my mind explode when she mentioned that in passing in our Meghan Markle podcast. I was like, we're coming back to this. So I'm excited for that, too. So I think I'm going to alternate like by myself with people, by myself with people, not necessarily one to one, but kind of the cadence I see going forward is if and when I can find guests. I mean, pretty much don't have anybody loaded, locked and loaded after uh, merit. But, uh, you know, February is always a downer month for me anyways, which might make for some great content. And somewhere in there, I'm doing my second Kate Lila from your phone calls because you guys called in a bunch earlier in January and I'm so excited. And I have a bunch of good relationship questions from Instagram. So anyways, guys, thank you as always for listening. Um, I hope you have a good, I was going to say good. That's like gruel. Um, I hope you have a good week and a great week. Really, I hope your week is good as hell, as Lizzo so astutely instructed us that it should be. And uh, as always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. <laughs> <laughs>